Let's grab our Bibles. Um, we are going to turn over to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. We're uh, continuing basically in the last week of Jesus' life here uh, on earth. And uh, Jesus has come into interactions with quite a few different people uh, as we've kind of walked through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, but particularly this last week as he's in Jerusalem, he's having um, different interactions with people, some good, some bad, some love him, some hate him. Um, but he is evoking a response from a lot of different people. And um, we just got done kind of seeing Jesus address some of the religious leaders, and now he kind of opens it up to Israel as a whole and to the surrounding crowds as he's there in the temple. And that's where we are in Matthew 22. And so if you guys will stand with me as we read our passage for today. Now, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, Another to his business, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. You may take a seat. Let me pray one more time as we uh, dive into the word today. Father, we need your word and God, we need to just sit under it and to feast on it. And uh, I need your help preaching it, Lord, and I know our people need your help hearing it and receiving it and thinking about it, Lord. And so we pray for your grace just one more time briefly as we come. Fill us, God, with the fullness of you, uh, God, that we may go out ready to serve you again um, this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What? As I was preparing for this sermon today and thinking about um, this passage, uh, just the idea of weddings came up. And uh, a lot of us either have been to a wedding or have participated in our own wedding, and lots of things go on in preparing for a wedding, right? There are a lot of details that we have, especially these days, we kind of do the weddings up real big and uh, real fancy. And brides, they can purchase kind of um, these wedding planners, right, that they get, and the wedding magazines, and they kind of start working through things. There's a timeline, thing by thing by thing, right? I remember that as we were doing that with me and Katie, all I could think about was getting married. I wanted to get married. I didn't really care too much about all the details going up to the wedding. I, I just wanted to get married. 
And a lot of times all the details got in the way of what I wanted to see happen, which was me and her get married, right? I had to remind myself again and again as a problem came up with the flowers or as a problem came up with um, one part of the ceremony, at the end of this, I'm getting a bride. I had to keep reminding myself of that because the, the process was just so painful, right, sometimes. And, uh, and, and, we were, and, and we were only doing it for a few months. We, we were engaged for four months, and we had our wedding right after that. But weddings... They bring up a lot of things, and there's possible contentions kind of between the bride and the groom and, and everybody else involved. But one of the things is that, that who to invite? Who to invite to the wedding? Sometimes we have a, a limited amount of space, and so we can't invite everybody we want to. Or sometimes we have a, a large space, and you can invite everybody, but very few people come. But the thing is, sometimes you got to decide who to invite and who not to invite. And that's a place between the bride and the groom that there could be a place of contention. A place where we kind of disagree, saying, no, I don't want that person coming to my wedding. You're not inviting that crazy uncle you know, to, to my wedding. Um, you can invite him to the reception, but he's not coming to the wedding. Or something like that, right? But the invitations in particular are something that is, is big in the planning of a wedding. And as we come to this wedding here in the scriptures, we see that this uh, focus around the invitation process is really key and that Jesus has something to teach us here about his kingdom as we talk about a particular wedding feast. And so as we begin, I just want to lay out one of the main points of this passage, which is this, that in the kingdom of heaven, many are called, but few are chosen. In the kingdom of heaven, many are called, but few are chosen. And that's what we're going to look at today through this passage. And so first what we're going to do is just look at the parable, and then we're going to talk about kind of its application in our own lives. Okay, and so let's look together at the parable here in Matthew 22. And moments ago, we just kind of read this short, illustrative story that Jesus gives. It's a story about a king who loved his son so much that he wanted to give him a special wedding day. He wanted to give him a special wedding feast, right? It was his son's uh, wedding day, and therefore he said, I want to do something very special. How many ladies grow up dreaming about their wedding and spend these hours, like we just talked about, planning even the smallest details out? And it's fitting for this father, therefore, to go and to want to do something very special, even down to the smallest detail for his son. And the purpose of this parable, Jesus kind of gives it to us right off the bat. He says it's to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. Remember, Jesus, when he came to the earth, that's what he came to do. He came to show us a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. He talks about the kingdom of heaven all throughout this whole gospel. Sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of God. Other times it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven. And yet this is what Jesus came to do. Matthew 4, 17 says this, From that time Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So his goal, therefore, is to show us what it's like to give us a living picture to say, this is what happens in my kingdom. That's why he's so focused on healing people and sharing the gospel of the good news that people can be forgiven and invited into this kingdom. He gives them a picture of a kingdom ethic through the the, um, Sermon on the Mount to say, this is what it looks like, how we relate to each other, how we love each other, how we love our enemies. 
This is what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so we said earlier that there was one main point to this parable, and I already gave it to you. And that's not to say that there are not other smaller points in a parable, but a lot of times a parable has one overarching point that kind of draws it all together. There may be smaller ones, smaller connection points, as we'll see, but we're going to look at the one main point together. For many are called, but few are chosen. Verse 14. That's what Jesus intends to prove and to show to us. And so let's dive into that um, main point, as it were. And we see Jesus, he focuses around the events, mainly uh, leading up to the wedding, the invitation process. Who are we going to invite? And how are we going to invite them? Right? That's the main thing that the parable is focused upon. You know, today we may have um, fancy wedding invitations that we may buy online or we may go to a store and, uh, and they may do them for us, right? They have like all the 15 different envelopes that you put in one invitation. You send it out in the mail. You get this whole packet kind of, you know, as a guest and you have to send off the RSVP thing and whatever. But at this time, he had servants, it was kind of more personal touch, right? He had servants that would go and follow up on the invitations and say, look, come on, it's time for me and my family to have a party for my son. But verse 3 says there was a problem. There was a problem with these invitations, or at least the receiving of these invitations. They wouldn't come. It says they wouldn't come, right? And so the servants go out, and this is kind of embarrassing for the king. I mean, think about this, not just an average person for, like you and me, but a king that says, I'm going to throw a party for my son, and I'm sending my servants out to come gather the people to come do this event, and no one comes. It's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of defeating, actually. On the day in which you want to celebrate your son, no one's coming to the party. How are you going to have a wedding without people, Right? I mean, I guess you could have, you know, your family there, but how would, you, how would you feel if none of your friends that you invited came to the wedding? It'd be a hard thing to stomach. So what the king does is the second time he tries to say, okay, I'm going to go back to these invited guests and I'm going to describe to them the menu. All right, I'm describing to them the menu as it were, and I'm going to give these things. It's going to be good eating, so please come. Verse 4 talks about the oxen and the fattened calves and different things like that. It says, look, it's going to be a really good party. Why would you want to miss this? Why wouldn't you want to come and be a part of this? It's kind of like a restaurant when they show that, that those commercials of kind of the best food that they have, and they're trying to whet your appetite. Sometimes it's like, you know, in the afternoons, I'll go for a run right before dinner time at the end of work. And I'll go down to the boardwalk and I'll run the length of the boardwalk. And especially in the summertime, it's like the worst place to run in one way because I'm running past all these restaurants. And they all have pictures of like the best food that I'm like, oh, that'd be great right now. But I'm running and I can't stop and get and you smell it, right? I smell the funnel cakes. I smell the hot dogs. I smell the French fries. I see the big picture of the, of the lobster up there over at Phillips. And I'm like, man, that would be great to stop there. But that's what's going on here. Giving a picture of the meal, right? A picture of the meal that they're going to have. And still, what happens? Well, verse 5 says they paid no attention. They paid no attention to this second attempt to get them to come to the place, to the ceremony. And it says, one went off to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, 
treated them shamefully, and even killed them. Now, this is kind of hard to imagine if we actually had this happen to us. I I can't imagine sending my servants out. If I had servants, I couldn't imagine that. But if if I sent them out to gather people for my my, uh, son's wedding a second time, and not only do they say, no, I'm not coming, but I'm killing the people who you told to come and invite me. That's pretty intense. They didn't pay attention. They went on business as usual. And they showed by their actions that this event, this invitation was not important, not worth their time. They had other things better to do. And they even turned on them and killed them. Well, obviously the king's not happy about this. And the king says, it's time for me to enact royal justice, royal judgment on these people. And so what does he do? He goes and and takes care of the ones that murdered the people, and then he burns the city. And we're reading this, and we're kind of like, okay, okay, Jesus, time out. What's, What's going on here? How do I understand what is going on in this parable, this intense judgment for what has gone on? It doesn't sound like your average wedding party and wedding invitation process. And at this point, I just want to bring in a little bit of what's going on here, verses 1 through 7. Some of the commentators are talking about how this is really representing Israel's rejection of God's invitation to be a part of the kingdom. Israel, who was given the invitation to be a part of the kingdom by God, and yet rejecting that invitation. And even rejecting Jesus as their true Messiah, as their true king. Remember, the parable was originally given to elders and chief priests and the surrounding crowds there in the temple. And seemingly Israel as a whole. Israel was God's special people, his covenant people, in which he was working in and through from the very beginning in the time. In the Old Testament, all the way to the New, he loved them. And he continued to love them, even into the New Testament, and said, I'm going to make my name known among the nations through you, Israel. He loved Israel. But when the true Messiah King came, they rejected him. They rejected him. Not all, but many. Listen to what one pastor says as he summarizes the story up to this point. He says this, As the first phase of the story ends, we pause to consider whom the characters represent. As usual, the king represents God the Father. The son represents Jesus. The servants are God's agents, the prophets, the apostles, and their successors. The king invites the guest uh, to the son's wedding feast, just as God invites men, women, and children to his kingdom throughout all the ages. The feast is a symbol of eternal life, For God's people will celebrate and dine with him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. From Revelation 19. And so we see here that God is giving us a picture of his church, his plan for Israel, and their rejection of the kingdom of God, a rejection of the king. And then he turns to verses 8 through 10. It's kind of the second scene of the story. The king says, you know what? These people that we invited, that did all these things, forget about them. Forget about that group. We're going for a new one. We're going for new guests, okay, this time. And so he's going out and he says, go and find new guests and fill the wedding hall. And that's exactly what happened, right? 
But when the king came to the party, he noticed something out of place. He noticed something out of the ordinary and said, something doesn't look right. There is one person out of the whole group that doesn't look like they belong. Right? What's that game we played as kids? Which of these is not like the others, right? Which of these is not like the others? He had a wedding crasher, all right? He had a wedding crasher that came to the party. And we've probably all heard of, of wedding crashers or maybe even had some show up at our wedding. I don't know. But those that say, hey, I want to come in. I'm going to get dressed up and I'm going to go for some free drinks. I'm going to go for some free good food and a party. Uh, I've seen it happen before uh, at a wedding that I went to. And uh, they just come and they don't know the guests. They don't know the brides. They don't know anybody else. But they say, hey, I'm going to try to get in here and get a free drink and free food. And this is kind of what happened here. The king recognizes one man. He found him out. But why? The text says that he wasn't wearing the right clothing. He wasn't wearing the right clothing. And that's how the king found him out. And we read earlier, verse 12, that said, when the king talked to him and said, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the guy was speechless. The king saw that he didn't have the right clothes on. We don't know if it, you know, he had a t-shirt or jeans on or whatever the equivalent was of that. But apparently he didn't have on the right clothes for the wedding. The wedding garment was a prerequisite to getting into the party and staying there. And he was caught red-handed. The text says that he was actually speechless. He was speechless. Well, what did Jesus mean by the wedding garment here? There's kind of a, um, a range of what people understand this wedding garment to be. And uh, as you, we kind of uh, took some time to study and looked at the commentators, some talk about it as the righteousness of Christ. It's Jesus' righteousness given to us, and that's the wedding garment that we have to be a part of the party. Some say it represents the fruit of a changed life, Right? And so when we become Christians, our lives change. We're not the same people that we used to be. We don't struggle with anger or with lust or that like we used to. It may still be a struggle, but we see victory over it in ways that we didn't see when we were not Christians. Some people say it was that. And others even say it's actually both those things at play. And to be honest, I really don't know, as I studied it, what it represents or really what Jesus' intended meaning was there in the beginning. Certainly, we know that none of us can enter into the kingdom of God on our own righteousness. We cannot enter into God's kingdom to say, you know what, I, I, I go to church. I did this good thing for this person who needed help or anything like that. We know that we have to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness alone. We know that Isaiah says that our, our righteousness is like filthy rags, ripped up, dirty rags. We don't have it. We need Jesus. That's the gospel. He takes our sin and our filth and we get his perfect righteousness, his perfect record. We know that. But as it relates to the wedding garment here, I just want to read a quote from one of the guys, D.A. Carson. I think he says it really well. He says this, It's better to leave the symbolism a little vague and say no more than that the man, though invited, did not prepare acceptably for the feast. Thus, though the invitation was very broad, it does not follow that all who respond positively will actually remain for the banquet. And so sadly, 
The man shows by his action the very point that Jesus is trying to make throughout the whole parable that many are called, but few are chosen. And for those not chosen, they will not be enjoying the real wedding feast, but they will receive the judgment of God. The judgment of God. And this is what happens to the man in verse 13. Then the king king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Representing judgment that he would experience because he was not really invited to the feast. He was not called and he was not chosen. So here we have a king who wants to throw a special party for his son. And he said, son, I love you so much that I'm going to throw you this special party. I'm going to go out and invite guests. And yet those guests reject the repeated invitation of the king and even kill the messengers of that invitation. And he goes out and finds new guests, and yet there is one that comes that is not supposed to be there. Not supposed to be there. But the question I have now for us, as as we do with any sermon, any text, is how does this apply to me and my life? How does this change me? What does God want me to learn from this? How do I apply this in my life? And so we're going to take just a few minutes to to look at those types of things. First, I think it brings up questions in our mind. I think a text like this, if we're honest and we understand it, brings up questions. One question is this. Why does God choose, or sorry, why does God not choose all? Why does he not choose all or everyone? The text says that many are, are, are um, invited or called, but few are chosen. Why? The scriptures are clear here and elsewhere that God has clearly chosen some. Some that he would elect for everlasting salvation to be with him forever and not others. It's a clear teaching throughout the scriptures, but sometimes we sit back as humans and we're trying to understand it and God say, why is this? It's kind of a truth that's hard to swallow. I think it's related to a second question, though, because if we really get how bad we are, if we really get how desperate we are before a holy and righteous God, if we understand that our righteousness is like filthy rags, if we can never live up to God's standard, the real question should be, why did God choose me? Why did God choose me? As I look around, what did I do to deserve God's choosing me, electing me, saying you will have salvation? You will respond to the call of the gospel. Why? I think that's the real question. And knowing that, that he has, should produce in us a heart of gratitude and a heart of thanksgiving each and every day that we wake up, that he gives us breath. I say, God, I don't know why you chose to work in my life. I don't know why you chose to save me from the drugs and the alcohol and the sex and the the self-righteousness. I don't know why you chose to save me from that, but you did. And I'm thankful. If it wasn't for God's grace, think about where you would be right now in your life. I think it's a healthy exercise sometimes 
to think about where we would be if it wasn't for God's grace in our lives. We should be grateful and thankful and have a privileged mentality every day that we wake up, say, God, I get to serve you and, and I get to walk with you as hard as it is to follow you in this life. As hard as the trials may get, I get to be with you. I'm not alone. I get to be with your people. What a privilege. What a joy. Yeah, things are hard in my life right now. Yes, circumstances are crazy. It seems like everything has hit the fan. I'm trying to follow you. Yet, I still have you. I still have your people. I think it's also an encouragement evangelistically. That as we are on mission with him, we're trying to share the gospel with our neighbors and with our family and with our friends and with strangers in the street that are, are trying to walk across the highway killing themselves. As we try to share the gospel, we know that God has chosen men and women and children that are his and he will get them. He will save them. Make no bones about it. He will save his people. There will be no one that he wants uh, saved, unsaved in the last day. He will get every single one, and he's using us to do it. And so some will respond as we share the good news of Jesus, and some will not. But it's up to him because he will get those that he came to die for. He does not mess up or make mistakes. You know, I I was also thinking about this question, why did God choose me? You know what's interesting? Some of the religious leaders, probably the question that they were asking is, why, why wouldn't he choose me? Why wouldn't he choose me? And honestly, some of us probably have that attitude sometimes. Why wouldn't he choose me? Right? I'm the religious leader. I'm, I'm, I'm the people that you know, look, people look up to in the community. I know the Bible in, in and out. I've been to Bible study I grew up in the church, you know, since my earliest of days. I did this, I did that, I did this. Why not me? And that's a dangerous place to be. And Jesus is calling them out saying, look, that ain't right. That's not a good place to be. You need to come to a place of humility and repent. So I think those questions come up in our minds. But yet... God gives us some answers here. I think the second thing that we need to look at as far as application is that the kingdom invitation demands a response. When Jesus came on the scene and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it is here. It demands a response, right? It's not something that we can say, oh, okay, all right, Jesus, yeah, I'll get back to you on that. No, it demands a response. And and the question for us today is how have we responded Maybe another one, way to say it is, which guest are we like? Are we like that first group of guests that say, nah, Jesus, you know what? I got my business to take care of. I got my school to take care of. I got my family or this and that. You know what? Really, I don't have time for this, Jesus. I'll come back to you later. Or that second group of guests that came to the wedding feast and partied. Which group are we like? When my parents, when they shared with me the good news of Jesus Christ at a very young age, five years old, I had to make a choice whether or not to respond by saying, yep, I'm going to make my life all about that, Jesus. You're right. I'm a sinner and I need you. When, when a woman came alongside of my wife in college, a friend, and shared with her the good news, 
She had to make a decision whether or not to trust Jesus and give her life to him. To surrender to him and to follow him. There was a choice to be made. There was a response to the invitation that has to be made. And we will respond one way or the other. No response is a response. No response is a response. If we say, yeah, Jesus, I'll come back to you later on that one. Maybe when I grow up, maybe when I'm done with college and I I get married and I start having kids and settle down again. Yeah, I'll go back to church then. I'll I'll get back interested in religious things. But right now I'm going to party it up. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my thing. That's a response. That's a response of rejecting Jesus. And the clear warning here is don't do it. Don't do it. You think that there is life in those things and there is not. Demands a response. One last um, category, I think, of application here is that theme of judgment. A theme of judgment. This parable, it also warns us of the fate of those who reject this invitation. Those who are not chosen by God. Verse 7 and verse 13 clearly allude to this reality. We need to realize that our choices in life have clear consequences. Some are more important than others. They're not all equally important. But I can assure you that this is one of those choices where you want to make the right decision. You want to choose God's way and follow him to respond to the invitation or else there is a judgment on the last day. You will face God. And if you are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, it will not be good. The weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's a picture of hell, a picture of judgment. What we will face if we are not in Jesus. Though we've lived a life of maybe pleasure, a life that we thought was fun, It doesn't matter when you get to the end. And I think the text is urging us this morning for us to accept this unbelievable invitation and say, Jesus, you are my king. I'm following you through thick and thin, through the ups and downs of my life. I am following you. As in the kingdom of heaven, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. When I was putting together this sermon today, I was thinking back, or or, um, this week, I was thinking about that song that we often sing uh, here that Pastor Santos sings for us, the um, righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost, that's the kingdom of God. And I like that song, um, one, because, you know, I I like the the feel, the Caribbean kind of feel of it, that thing, but uh, I love the words of it. And the refrain for me is really powerful. What we sing kind of the chorus And I think about it every time we sing it almost. I think about our community. I think about what we're trying to do here as a church. And it was, it's just a question. It says, don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? And he repeats it again. Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? Come on, come on everybody. And I think about that refrain in light of our community. I think about it and the people that I'm meeting throughout the week. I think about it, the people that we've met through Bible clubs and through outreach projects. I think about my family and my friends. What an invitation. Don't you want to be a part of this kingdom? You don't understand the party that you are missing. 
You think you are going to another party that's better than this party, and I'm telling you, it's not better. And Jesus' word is telling us it's not better. And how often I sing this song, and I'm just praying, God, help them to respond. Help them to respond to see the party that you have for them. What an invitation. Jesus tells us that some will respond. Some will respond just like we did and say, yes, that's what I want my life to be about. Here's my life, Jesus. Take it. Do whatever you want with it. But some will not. Those he has chosen will be with him forever. Forevermore, being with him, we will enjoy one day that beautiful wedding feast of the Lamb. When he ushers in his kingdom as a whole, we will be there with him. For all eternity, we will have a party upon parties that the world has never, ever known. A wedding feast better than any wedding feast. No more sin, no more suffering. No more hard circumstances. No more hard job decisions or school decisions. No more suffering physically. It will be done. We will be with King Jesus forever. In Revelation 19, after John, hearing a great multitude of voices praising God and talking about that day, the great wedding feast, he says this in verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, this marriage uh, feast here, this parable, this story, it hearkens to a day in which there will be a true wedding feast with the lamb that was slain for people like you and for me. And how beautiful that day will be. And how God invites us all today to be a part of that feast. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Um, God, there is no place that we need to be right now except for right here. We need to be here Uh, just worshiping you. God, we need to be here uh, thinking about how great the gospel is. We need to be here um, praising you for inviting us into your kingdom. Thank you for doing that, Jesus. Thank you for um, the, the promise that we will be with you on this last day and forevermore, that we will celebrate this wedding feast And even as we come to your table, Lord, we pray that this would even remind us of what you have done for us on the cross. And it would propel us to go and to live more faithfully for you, more wholeheartedly for you, to walk by faith. God, that it would uh, prepare us to go and to face those battles, to face the suffering, to face the persecution. God, that it would feed us spiritually, Lord, as it's supposed to. God, we pray now that you would please help us as we celebrate your supper. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday's sermon was preached by the Reverend Peter Eck. 
assistant pastor at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.